0: welcome to subversion with 1517 subversion is a podcast dedicated to exploring big ideas pushing against accepted opinion and just maybe inciting more creative subversion in society today's conversation is one that i'm excited about it is with max Locke. max is the founder and president of fleet a logistics company fleet is a company that max founded on his own he is a solo founder so we talk a little bit about that we talk about Whether or not you really need a co-founder, Max is in the camp that you probably don't actually need a co-founder, and that there are distinct advantages to being a solo founder. Separate from our conversation, Max and I talked a little bit afterwards, we didn't get a chance to record it, but we talked a little bit afterwards about how he developed his own bias fraction. You'll hear in his story that he went and he got a job when he was 14 uh, in computer science and IT, uh, how he went and he started a uh, paper cup company how he did multiple things that showed just an amazing bias fraction. action i asked him a little bit about his background because you hear about that and you often think like oh this person's parents probably pushed them to do that and he said no not necessarily from his parents were pretty conventional however he got bored easily and he cultivated that boredom and used that boredom to drive himself forward so i thought that was an important and distinct part of his story before we jump into that, I do want to say that Subversion is brought to you by 1517 Fund. 1517 Fund supports teams led by young founders with grant, pre-seed, and seed funding, as well as mentorship in a community of hundreds of peers and collaborators. If you're a young hacker, maker, or scientist looking to build your own future, schedule a call with us at 1517fund.com forward slash take dash action. That is 1517fund.com forward slash take dash action. Because a real education is a liberation. Now onto this week's show. So I'm here with Max Locke. Max is the founder and president of Fleet. Uh, Max, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what Fleet is and how you got started running Fleet?
1: Yeah, my story really begins back um, about eight years ago. I was uh, in high school and uh, when I turned 14 and I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, for my birthday, I wanted to get my working papers. Normally, this is kind of reserved for people that um, are out working in more farms in rural Pennsylvania. Um, you have to get signed off from your school and from your parents. So uh, I my school wasn't too familiar with this process. I ended up getting my working papers the day I turned 14. Um, and at the time, I was really interested in computer science, so I started applying for jobs, um, and the first job that I got was as the IT administrator at a chain of pizza restaurants. They actually had 26 pizza restaurants up and down the East Coast, um, and I was in one of their stores. They were launching a new line of organic pizza restaurants and was trying this ice cream they were planning on serving, uh, and it tasted absolutely horrible, so I went home and Uh, figured out what's the best way to manufacture ice cream. Uh, I brought it back to them. They liked it so much, they started serving it. I figured I really didn't have much to lose, so I took it to Whole Foods. Whole Foods picked it up, brought it to other supermarket chains. They picked it up. Um, And before I knew it, the volume quickly grew to a point where it no longer but instead to look at manufacturing the packaging overseas. So I started importing my own ice cream packaging, um, and I realized that Solo, uh, the paper cup company, had kind of dominated all the ice cream packaging here in the U.S. So I started selling to other ice cream and frozen yogurt brands. And before I knew it, I started selling way more paper cups than ice cream. Um, So over the two years or so that I did it, I sold over 35 million paper cups, spoons, lids, things of that nature. And what I realized was it was pretty hard to mess up a paper cup unless there's a hole in the bottom of it. Um, the challenging part was all of the logistics. So things would get lost, they'd get damaged, you'd be quoted one price then charged another. And I was just completely fed up with this process. I talked to other people in the, in the industry and they said, well, this is just international trade, this is how it works, you don't really have a choice, just deal with it. Um, and I, it just didn't make sense to me. I figured you can book a flight online, you can book a hotel online, why can't I book a pallet of freight online? Uh, And that's what ultimately led me to start Fleet. And I started Fleet back at the end of 2014. Uh, We launched at TechCrunch Disrupt. uh, And since then, we're now uh, 22 people. We've made the move from San Francisco to Portland. um, And now 22 people here in our office in Portland, Oregon.
0: So some background here, you are the only founder at this company, correct? That is correct. And you have started companies before, as you just said in your story. Was your decision to be an only founder an active and conscious decision on your part?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I think some of it, it's a variety of different reasons. Um, in, when I was manufacturing paper cups, um, although I started the company by myself, I eventually brought on my brother. I was in high school at the time, I just didn't have the bandwidth. Um, and he had graduated college and, um, or had excess capacity for uh, in his free time. So from that, I kind of learned that um, if two people don't share the exact same vision or aren't the, on the same page as far as how, how you should operate a company, um, in the end, you end up not really making any decisions. And that hurt the business more than um, one person making a decision, whether that might be the wrong decision or whether it might be the right decision. Um, so going into Fleet, I didn't consciously say like, "Oh, I want to do this as a solo founder," or "Oh, I want to go find other co-founders." It just felt like there was it was the right time for what Fleet was doing, and uh, I didn't know of anyone else that was on the had the same idea for where the industry was headed or had the same um, roadmap in their head for the direction that we should go down. Uh, so for me, it was just. Um, I had the right idea at the right time, and I wasn't going to wait for a co-founder to do this with me. I felt like I have a strong enough um, view of where the industry should be headed from being a customer of this industry that I didn't feel like it was necessary to have a co-founder.
0: So essentially, why bring on a co-founder if you don't need one, right?
1: Yeah, my view of it was, you know, I really want to hire a really strong team and I want to hire people that are kind of experts in their area on the team, whether that be operations or whether that be uh, um, uh be a software engineer, or whether that be a sales uh, individual, I'm not uh, an expert in those areas. I have an idea of um, what the problem is and how we're going to go about solving it. But the actual tactical decisions about how we do those things, why not hire the best people to actually go out and do those? Um, Whether it be sales, marketing, engineering, instead of, um, I just didn't feel like I could solve the problem that way than having a co-founder next to me all the time.
0: So what does your deliberation process look like anytime you have to come across uh, making big decisions? Do you have an explicit process? Uh, Do you have anyone that you call up that you regularly talk to? Or is this something that you just feel like you've got a pretty good grasp of yourself?
1: So I think it's a combination of things. Um, At Fleet, we try to be really collaborative. Um, I don't have all the answers. I have some strong opinions in certain areas, but part of our culture here is for people to share their opinions. Um, And people have different perspectives depending on which part of the business they're in. Um, So every Monday, we have a town hall discussion where we kind of discuss what the state of the company is, what are some big decisions that we need to talk about. Um, And everyone really has an opportunity to kind of share their voice or opinion. doesn't mean we're going to listen to everyone because oftentimes you have differing opinions in the room. Um, but I, I use this process to try and get uh, different data points to see where people are and people who have um, much closer first-hand knowledge to some of those problems that we're facing. And then uh, ultimately, I take that back, kind of analyze the information, maybe have some other conversations with people if we need some more data points, um, and then we make a decision. If it's something you know, a really large decision such as fundraising, bringing on new partners, et cetera. Um, I still get some feedback from the team. I also have a network of investors um, and a couple of advisors that, that um, I talk to on a fairly regular basis to get their input as well.
0: So, how did you go about selecting your network of advisors in particular?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually, um, I'm not a huge fan of having like a a huge network of advisors. Oftentimes what I find is people are just trying to get others as advisors for the sake of saying, oh, I have this person as an advisor. Um, We really only have, besides investors, really one, uh, two like close advisors. But kind of what that allows me to do is actually spend time with them so that they understand our business and the challenges that we're facing and what we're going through at certain points in time. Um, so that's, that's the first thing is I, I didn't, we don't have like a, a laundry list of five, 10, 15, 20 different advisors. There's really one to two people that we talk to on a regular basis outside of our investors um, that are really good advisors to us. And I picked those advisors based off of kind of the areas that I was not the strongest in. Um, I had never operated a company that was the size of Fleet before. I had an idea of where we wanted to go. Um, So the first uh, advisor that we brought on was actually a a really strong operator. um, And the second was more of an expert on the sales and marketing side. I had this idea, but I wasn't exactly sure how to get it out there. So in a way, I guess this is kind of a way to supplement maybe what a co-founder is. Um, But I think oftentimes when you have co-founders, those co-founders aren't necessarily experts in those areas either. So in in not having a co-founder, I can rely on them for information and data points on how to make certain decisions. Um, but ultimately, the decision is mine at the end of the day. And that, that um, allows the company, I think, to move much faster than trying to get two people to be on the same page with what direction we're headed.
0: Is there anything that you wish you had known going into the process of starting Fleet?
1: um it uh, people say this but it is a fairly lonely um a lonely process (laughs) um it's there's a lot of work that falls on a solo founder i mean i i do everything i was here this past weekend sending out invoices i think i got through like a 100 plus invoices this weekend um and there's no one really to share that workload with. Um, I mean, yes, we have a team here and they were, I mean, there's always a tremendous amount of work to be done, Um, but a lot of the, the team doesn't understand kind of the pressure that's on a solo founder because you get pressure from both sides. You're getting pressure from the team. They want to execute at a high level. You're also getting pressure from investors and advisors who want to make sure that you're hitting certain metrics and milestones. So um, this is kind of a unique situation to be in. And I don't think the investors or advisors really understand that position, nor do I think that the uh, team members really understand it. Because at the end of the day, yes, it's a job, and it can be more than a job to them, um, but it's not. Uh, they, they will never have the feeling that it was their idea and their company from the beginning. Um, and because of that, there's, there's kind of like a, a different – standard that is held to founders and only being the only one that's there um, makes that a challenge and it can be lonely at times
0: so how do you communicate that effectively to your team to your investors to your advisors that when you're feeling that pressure you you frame things properly for them to understand what it is like Or do you just ignore it and move forward? Um,
1: So I try to be a really good buffer for both the team um, and for the investors. So communicating frequently and often is super important. I don't want the team to feel um, every single feedback, suggestion, product, thing that comes from our community, so to speak, Um, like community of investors, advisors, people who are kind of tangentially related. Um, I want the team to to be super productive at what they do best, whether that's um, software engineering, whether that's sales, whether that's marketing. I try to um, shield them from some of that. Uh, And then on the other side for investors, advisors, it's really about communicating frequent and um, frank and often so um, they know what's going on and what you're going through. Like the past couple of weeks, we've had some challenges on the operation side. And just being open and communicating about that uh, investors and advisors are are understanding of this and they want to support. It's when the grass is always green um, that you lead to other problems because then you're saying one thing, but you're feeling something completely different.
0: So the loneliness point is an interesting one to me because that's actually one of the things we covered in one of our more recent conversations here on the podcast. Uh, we had Janet Liriano from uh, Lumia on recently to discuss how to deal with loneliness like interpersonal loneliness as a founder and you know she offered some great ideas but for you personally outside of the work environment how do you how do you get that you know sense of camaraderie or community
1: um that's a that's a good question i um i'm actually perfectly fine with being fairly lonely i wouldn't say that i'm super lonely I actually um, just recently got married so um, I have a a partner thank you that um, is uh, in the boat with me so to speak so um, she's super supportive of this but outside of that I mean I just kind of view it as like this is a phase in my life where I really want to focus on fleet and I want fleet to succeed and that's going to be my number one priority and I will have plenty of time later in my life to um, (laughs) to whether it be relaxing or um, being more social. I I just feel like I'd rather put in the hard work now and see the reward later than just working a job every single day and having an average social life. So I realize that I'm out of balance now, but I don't always intend for it to be that way.
0: Oh yeah, that makes sense. So for you in hiring people who are the best in their field, uh, I I imagine, you know, (laughs) these people are not your age, right? They're probably considerably older than you. How do you uh, do? You, how do you manage people who are older than yourself?
1: Yeah. So for me, I think anyone who is a younger founder, especially, um, age is just a number. I mean, I've uh, I fortunately have only really dealt with one incident of what I would call ageism in my uh, past, and fortunately, it wasn't too bad. Um, but most people, they, I mean, for me, if they see value, like to join fleet, you have to see value in the idea and the mission and where we're headed rather than just saying like, oh, this is a young guy who's going to be my boss. And people, once they meet me and get to know me, I think they realize that I'm quite an old soul and I have a lot of um, old world mentality as far as kind of sales, marketing, other business strategies um, that are quite different than the more traditional uh, or not the more traditional, the more modern kind of like, growth, growth, growth strategies. And uh, once people start interacting with me on that level, um, I, I think the age question just goes out the window.
0: That makes sense. So if someone's listening to this right now and you know they've got a project that they, they wanna pursue, that they wanna really grow into a startup and into a growing business, but they've been fed this narrative that they need to find a co-founder, what would you tell them if you could have them take one thing away from this conversation?
1: Um, Definitely, you don't need a co-founder. There are plenty of people out there that have done it without a co-founder. And if an investor is telling you that you need a co-founder in order to proceed, then they likely just don't have a strong conviction in the idea that you're pitching them. Um, Or there are other things, and this is merely an excuse. I I don't think um, a reason, like if someone really liked your idea um, and you've got something that solves a market need, then there's no reason like not having a co-founder shouldn't be a reason for an investor not to proceed. Um, it also shouldn't be a reason for you not to proceed. Um, yes, it's going to be challenging. Yes. It might be slower to start off. Um, but you need to have a really strong opinion and view of where you want to bring it and stick with that. The hardest thing is getting started. And then as you get through different stages of the company, eventually you'll hire your first employee and then you'll have a team and so forth. Um, hire people that are really good at what they do and then trust them um, and collect data from them and use that to improve your decision-making process.
0: Max, thanks so much. Thank you.